Thank you for such a beautiful inter introduction, Pastor Bill. And I'm so honored to be here and to get to meet you. And as we were worshiping this morning and we were singing that God would satisfy our soul before the day is over, I felt so overwhelmed with satisfaction already and it's still morning. <laughs> so I hope you feel that presence here just as I felt even though I'm just uh, visiting you. Um, today we will talk about how we were created and how God perceives our mental health. Yeah? Okay. So um, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, 27 to 31. And I will read for you. You can follow on the screen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So there's so much we can gain from just these few verses, but I want to focus on our mental health and focus on the essence of how God created us, that he created us in his image, okay? And when God was creating the whole world, he was in the form of Trinity. God the Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was together in intimacy in one. And therefore, we are relational. If you read the previous verses before where we started, it says, let us make man in our image. And we can see that we want to be in relationship. And the first sign of us struggling mentally is isolating our own selves. We are emotional beings, okay? So when you feel emotion, that's very healthy. That's, you should be feeling a lot of emotion all the time. All creation was given to us. If you read every verse, it says how God created so that we would have life and we would have dominion over all of these things. And I want to argue here that we should have dominion over ourselves, that our spirit should have dominion over who we are, our thoughts, mind, and our emotions. And I will elaborate that a little after this slide. Everything was commanded into existence. I am deeply in tune with how God looks upon healing. And the more I look into how God thinks about healing, I realize 
that God wants us to command healing. It's a gift that he already gave us. He wants us to be healed and whole. And it's, it, it seems like Pastor Danny had already preached on that last week. And we should be whole, and we command healing. And I want you to try that when you're, you know, hurting or even just your emotions. I want you to try commanding yourself um, to be under that dominion, that authority God gives us. And it was good. Everything God made was good. Do you believe you are good? And uh, you're beautiful. It looks beautiful from here, every single one of you. We should have rhythm. God gave us a daily rhythm, and God gave us rhythm to rest. Even God himself rested on the seventh day. Did you know that? Sometimes I feel like, God, you're doing so many things, and I'm trying to keep up because I don't want to miss out on what you're doing. But God reminds us, I rest, and you should rest. So there's a rhythm in us. And I, I said I wanted to elaborate a little more, and here's a diagram. Um, this is just, I made it up. I didn't get it from anywhere. And I believe that our spirit is connected with God, right? And our soul is where our emotions and our mind and our thoughts are. And then our body. So our spirit, soul, and body is us. We are in three different parts and the, the flow of energy, the direction, should be from God to our spirit, and therefore our spirit should have dominion over our soul and body. But if we don't take care of our mental health, our body will show signs. Like if you have an anxiety attack, it's really felt in your body. But where is it coming from? Because you didn't take care of your anxiety. And how can we take care of or take dominion over those thoughts and emotions is through our spirit. So if we're not receiving direction and guidance and truth from God, then how can we do all this? And so when I talk about this, many believers ask, then why are we struggling at all as believers? And I ask that self for myself, my life. In my life, I ask so many times, God, why do I struggle so much? Even though you've showed me grace and love and you help me again and again, but I still struggle. What is wrong with us, right? And sometimes we recognize we're not using our spiritual authority that God gave us, which means we're not connected intimately to the Lord. And then we're not receiving the truth. Sometimes there's sin in our lives, and it creates walls uh, from us, from God to us. Sometimes trauma or hurt disconnects us from God, right? And in your relationships, because we're supposed to be relational, the more vulnerable we are, there will be risk for pain and hurt. And these relationships will sometimes cause us to shut down. But when we do not learn how to do relationship with each other, it's also hard to grow in our relationship with God because it is a relationship. It is not just a doctrine we believe in, but you're supposed to have relationship with God, with the living God, and it should be relational. So think about it like dating. If you go uh, out on a date, and if the other person who is there sitting with you is constantly asking you what they want in the relationship, what, what they need, and just requesting everything, would you want to be with that person? 
Is that relational? Right? And I thought about that. God, do I really have relationship with you? What does that look like? And before we go into more depth, um, I wanted to explain a little bit about mood disorders. Because that's the main uh, struggle that we have in when we talk about mental health. Mood disorders. One out of five Americans struggle with mood disorders. Did you know that? If you think about a 10-person small group and you get together and share, at least two people in that group should be struggling with the mood disorder. That's what the statistics show. So if you don't have no one sharing that I'm struggling, I'm, I'm emotionally uh, struggling, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm anxious, what is going on in your small group? I want to ask, is it a safe place? Is a church a safe place to talk about these things? But the gray line that you see, um, by the way, I just drew, drew this, so it's a little uh, messy, but uh, the gray line is our day-to-day -day mood of what, what the clinical clinicians will consider a healthy uh, mood swing, okay? Like just gentle, happiness and sadness, every day your mood changes, but it's in the range that they decided that this is healthy. If you look at the blue line, that's bipolar. There's two poles, the lower pole and the high pole, and the low side is when you're depressed, and the high is when you're in a manic phase, and then they would say you're bipolar. And the red one is depression. Okay, major depression, you're generally always sad, but you have really deep sadness where um, you just no longer want to live versus just uh, sadness that others might also feel. And then when you're in a generally a better place, um, you feel like, oh, maybe I'm a little better, but then that dip, that really low depression comes back. And I always ask my clients who come for therapy, Please keep a mood diary and check your mood. And once you have a, a grasp of what your mood wave looks like, you will feel much more in control and not slave to your, your emotions. I want us to look at Elijah, Elijah's story. Now, when I say Elijah, who do you think of? When, Elijah, when I talk about Elijah, a lot of people uh, think about uh, a powerful prophet, right? Um, we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. It's a lot of verses, so bear with me. Ahab, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no longer better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. 
And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. If you see here, there are many different symptoms that Elijah is going through, and I want to, um, I feel like he had manic depression, bipolar. And we don't, when we think about Elijah, we don't think stuff like that, right? But if you look at the criteria in DSM-5, do, have you guys heard of DSM-5? Yeah, I, I see a lot of nods. You need to have three out of these criterias to say that you had a manic episode. Inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, increased talkativeness, racing thoughts, distracted easily, increase in goal-directed act activity or psychomotor agitation, engaging in activities that hold the potential for painful consequences. And so we couldn't read the whole thing before chapter 19, but you guys know that famous story of how Elijah battled the prophets of Baal. And in that section, I want to show you that Elijah had at least three of these symptoms. So 1 King 18 to 20 to 40, we're not going to read all of this, but I'm just going to point out what Elijah had. He definitely had inflated self-esteem, okay? It says, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. But in even other places, Elijah looks, seems very confident, overly confident of himself. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Eshra who eat at Jezebel's table. So he was willing to battle with 450 people. Elijah mocked them. And when they were um, ready with the burnt offering, before Elijah prayed, he asked them to pour water into the offering. And if you understand, they were going through severe drought. So there was no water to drink. Their animals were dying. So I don't know if God told him to do this, but this seems a little excessive to me. I would feel really bad to pour this much water into a burnt offering um, for God to consume with fire. But this is what Elijah asked. And he slaughtered all 450 people. Can, can anyone do this in their right mind? Kill 450 people, even if it was for the Lord. He had to be in a special condition mentally. And if you look at the criteria to diagnose depression in DSM-5, there's actually 11 in major depressive disorder, but because I'm pulling this information from bipolar, there's, there's only this many. But you need five out of these to be diagnosed. Depressed mood most of the day, loss of interest or pleasure in all activities, significant weight loss or decrease or increase in appetite, engaging in purposeless movements such as pacing the room, fatigue or loss of energy, feeling of worthlessness or guilt, diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness, reoccurring thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt. So when I read these things off, you kind of feel like, oh, shoot, I qualify with some of them too. 
right? It's, it's hard not to think that way. But Elijah had a lot of these symptoms. The first thing he felt when Jezebel was angry at what he did was fear. Okay, it starts with fear. He was afraid. He isolated himself by leaving his servant who was always with him. And he ran for his life. And he pleaded with God, Lord, take away my life. It's better that I die. And he was comparing himself with his forefathers. He laid down and slept. Do you know that people who struggle with depression sleep, and it's really, really difficult to get out of bed? And I ask uh, my clients, please congratulate yourself for getting up. If you got up at 12 noon, just start with, being thankful that you got up, but it's hard for us to do that. We feel guilty, we feel lazy, and it's different from laziness, but it's really hard to separate that. So Elijah was just sleeping and doing nothing. And as you read in First Kings, I, I'm going to read this part again, how God handled, how God cared for Elijah when Elijah was struggling emotionally in this place. It says, Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God came and gave him, met him with a gentle touch. If you're struggling, what do you tell yourself? Many times we imagine or we're encountered with parents or other people around us who are telling us, what's wrong with you? Snap out of it. And these are the wrong responses. God came and gently touched Elijah and said, eat. He provided food out of nowhere and water, and he left him to sleep more. And he came again and touched him and fed him again. Nowhere here does it say God was angry and nagging and yelling at Elijah. What's wrong with you? Nowhere does it say that. But we feel a lot of guilt and shame when we're struggling. And Elijah finally had enough strength to come and encounter God. And so I'm going to read on in the next slide. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper came. And you guys know the verses that I didn't read already. It's how God met Elijah in the most unexpected way. He was not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the strong winds, but God came as a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a, a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord and God of the hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And even then, even after God cared for Elijah, Elijah is really speaking from his own perspective, right? He's saying, God, I worked so hard for you. I, I was jealous for you. But what kind of state am I in now? They're after my life. 
And God answers Elijah in every way, even more than Elijah asked for, because he didn't have these specific questions about who's going to be king next. But God is like this. God includes us in his plans, in his future. He speaks in such specific ways what we are to go and do and look for. So I'm going to read the rest of the verses. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, the Abel Mahoatla, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. While Elijah thought he was so alone, while he thought he was the only one left, God is proclaiming that there are many who have not yet bowed down to Baal. And so when we recognize how God takes care of us in our weakest moments. What now? Right? This is the question I asked myself when I was struggling the most. Up until that point in my own depression and in my own strive for healing from my traumas, I was asking, why God? Why me? Why did you allow these things to happen in my life? But when I started asking God, what now? I started hearing God's response about the future. And I recognized that God was telling Elijah about his future, right? What to do next. God is sovereign over our history and over what's to come. And God is inviting Elijah. Elijah, there's still so much left to do. You're not alone. You're going to be okay. And we need to recognize the image of God we carry. Okay, because we were created that way. When I recognize in my own healing journey that I had this image of God, that God was just this powerful being that was really far from me, and I didn't know how to reach him, and I didn't consider a personal relationship with him, and so I couldn't heal from my past. I had a lot of anger, and I just thought I was just a small toy that was created for his joy. But when I recognize my thoughts, I realize that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is loving. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Bible says Jesus is my friend. But I didn't feel it was that way. And so I knew I needed healing. I knew I needed to restore the image of God, but also be restored in that image that lives in me. There was a lot of guilt and shame that I could have done something different to avoid the traumas that I experienced. And that's how Adam felt when he encountered sin for the first time. He had a lot of guilt. But even then, if you read Genesis chapter 3, God comes in such a gentle manner asking, Adam, where are you? He wasn't condemning from the very beginning. He covers Adam, his guilt and shame. And I had to really dedicate time into prayer and word. 
I had to recover the intimacy with God. And like I shared earlier, if you're in a dating relationship, you don't want this partner who's constantly asking something from you. Sometimes that's our prayers. We only petition, God, give me this, give me this, help me here. How about my internship? What's next? But instead, can you just spend time with God? Just as you did this morning, in silence, can you invite God's presence and just be with him and have a communication? Do you hear his voice? And that was the challenge in my prayer. God, I don't think I hear you. I don't know how to hear you. I read books, prayed with others to grow in prayer and in having real communication with God. And then you need a loving community. So think about your small group again, or think about your church. If there's 100 people here, how many people should be struggling statistically? And if not, is this a safe place? Or are we just hiding it? Are we trying to be put together because we're at church? And you need tangible care. Just like God provided, you need sleep, you need food, and you need a gentle touch. And do not ignore your rhythm, your daily rhythm, your emotional rhythm. And you need deep rest, just like God had. And so finding that balance in this crazy world that is pushing us to do even more or do better, that you can only find in the presence of God where you're hearing his voice. And that is why you're here. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because all of you who showed up and all of you who I'm really proud of your church because your church is having this type of series and really trying to be that healthy church. And that is so precious. And I hope that you will impact not just your own life, but your family, your campuses and this city with this healthy rhythm. Yes? Can I, um, before I pray for us, can, can you maybe take a silent moment and just think about um, who God is to you? And do I really understand? Do I really know that I'm made in the image of God? And I, do I hear from the Lord? Have I ever felt that gentle touch, his whisper? What is God saying to me? And in this presence, I just want you to take a deep breath. Whenever I take a breath, I'm reminded of that first breath that God breath into us when he created us. Lord, thank you that we have life in this moment and your presence is here with us and you love us so much. Even when we're struggling, you love us so much and you draw near to us in the deepest, darkest places that we go take ourselves and you want to Show us how loving you want to show us and speak to us that you do have a plan, that you do have a future for us. 
And Lord, I don't know where everyone is, but I pray that in this moment, it will be a start of a healing journey to reconnect with you in the most deepest way that we've ever experienced. And every time we come to this place, this church, I pray that we will connect through each other, through the worship, through the word, that we will come to know you more deeply and grow in the intimacy that you gifted us. Lord, I thank you again today because you met us here, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.